Good morning. And so I'm excited today uh, to be able to share this morning with my son, Benji. Uh, as we were praying through this weeks ago, he was starting to really uh, devour the book of James, if you will. And I said, hey, when we get there, why don't you and I kind of combo and team teach it? And it just so works out that with all this crud in my head and chest, I'm like, man, praise God, Benji can carry most of the weight today for me. So this is a beautiful thing. So today, we're going to continue our uh, series that we've titled Inspired. We're looking at the 66 love letters of God. And we've laid out kind of as a premise statement from Genesis chapter 3 through the end of the Bible through Revelation. It's the story of a betrayed lover being God pursuing us who divorced him back in Genesis in the garden. It's God pursuing us saying, come back and trust me. Come back and know my love. Come back and understand the depth of who I am and what I have to offer. And so today, uh, I'm excited to be able to break down Jude, James, and the book of Philemon. I want to start uh, with a statement out of the book of Jude. Jude and James were half-brothers of Jesus, which means uh, they had the same mama but different daddies. Jesus had a different daddy. His daddy was Abba, Father, Creator, okay? So uh, Benji can break that down a little bit, but Jude, verse 3, listen to what he says. He says, I'm writing to you and I'm appealing to you that you will contend earnestly for the faith. I'm, I'm, I'm writing that I want to see you earnestly contend for the faith. He's, there's some other uh, ungodly people that have wormed their way into the church that are creating some disturbance and chaos, but I'm writing to you that you will contend for the faith. Now, contend is an interesting word. We're told in Scripture that we're to defend the gospel, if you will. Uh, we're told in Peter that we should be uh, apologists, if you will, always being ready to give an answer or defense for the gospel. James, uh, uh, he, he breaks down this thing that Benji will cover here about living out the faith in a radical way. Jude uses the word contend, contend, and this is what it is. The word contend was the portrait, it being Veterans Day weekend, it was the portrait of a soldier who had been entrusted with the sacred responsibility of guarding this holy treasure. That's the portrait that Jude is painting. I want you to contend for the faith. I want you to realize that God has given you the sacred responsibility to guard that which is really holy, the faith. What is the faith? The faith, the faith. So we're going to be looking at the faith today. All three of these, if you will, writings deal with the faith. We kind of are building off of the Hebrews piece of faith. I want you to guard and contend for the faith. What's the faith? The faith is the essentials. It is the key doctrines of what we believe. I mean, even if you look at the slide here, it talks about essentials, convictions, opinions, and questions. What is the faith? A lot of people love to share their opinions and they, they parade them around like they really matter. They, what matters are the essentials. We're, we're talking about the virgin birth, we're talking about Trinity. We're talking about Jesus being co-equal, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're talking about the depravity and sinfulness of man. I want you to contend for the faith that we're saved by grace through faith. It's a free gift. I want you to contend for the faith. It's about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. 
It's about his atoning sacrifice being enough. I want you to contend for the faith because there's some people trying to weaken and water down the faith. And we live in a society where people have trivialized and minimized the faith. And Jude is writing saying, I want you to contend for the faith. I read this quote, and I thought, man, what a powerful quote by John Stone Street. He said, ideas have consequences, and bad ideas have victims. I was reading that thinking, man, when it comes to the faith and when it comes to the essentials, ideas have consequences, and bad ideas have victims. And some 25, 30 years ago, there was a guy up in Chicago that I've read many of his writings, a guy by the name of Bill Hybels. And Bill Hybels had a church called Willow Creek, and Willow Creek became almost the model that a lot of churches were trying to follow. And Bill Hybels basically presented this concept in evangelical Christianity that we're going to do a seeker-sensitive kind of approach to church, meaning that we want to do everything we can not to offend people that come to church. And so Sunday morning became all about inviting non-believers and lost people into church. And Bill Hybels created this seeker-sensitive, seeker-friendly approach. Only a few years back, Bill Hybels came out and denounced it, saying that model was jacked up. That common core stuff that we're going to teach in schools, uh, we, we got to teach this, and now it's come out saying, man, we really jacked that up. Because when I read that quote right there, ideas have consequences, and bad ideas have victims. There was a lot of people that have been victimized by buying into things that were not true, that were not doctrine, that were not essentials. You follow me? So we're told we've got to contend for the faith. We've got to guard the faith. We've got to do everything we can to protect it and preserve it and promote it to see it persevere. So here would be my question. What do you value? Do you know the faith? Are you sold out to the faith and to the essentials and to the key doctrines of the faith? Because here's what I believe with all my heart. Listen to me. Faith is an action word. Faith has feet. Faith is not just chilling in a recliner with the right verbiage and terminology. Faith is an action word. As he said, we're going to break down James now for a little while. So I highly advise you guys, please get out your notes, get out something to write with, because what we're going to talk about is not meant to be warm and fuzzy. It's not meant to be comfortable. This is really meant to prick your heart and stir something within you that makes you a little bit uncomfortable today. So who is James? His dad said James was the half-brother of Jesus, meaning he, like he said, he had the same mama but a different daddy, so he grew up in the same house. He grew up around Jesus. He saw who Jesus was. He probably even experienced a little bit of uh, Jesus' miraculous ability in his own life, but not for quite some time did, did James really realize who Jesus was. So who was James? James was us. He was one of us. Like many of us, we might grow up in a Christian home. We may grow up seeing Jesus, hearing about Jesus, knowing who Jesus is. But for some of us, it's taken some time maybe to really realize and grasp who he is. So when we read this letter of James, we're not reading some massive spiritual patriarch. 
We're reading a letter written amongst us, okay? So, the main thing, <clears throat> excuse me, that we can get from the life or uh, from the letter of James is this. Please write this down. We are called to live a proactive faith. Say it again. Write it down, circle it, underline it, asterisk it. We are, lived, are called to live a proactive faith. We are not called to be passive. We're going to read a little bit, <clears throat> and then we're going to break it down. James 2, starting in verse 14, says this. says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I'll show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Imagine this, especially going into the Christmas season here. Imagine picking the one person that you love above and beyond more than anybody else in the whole world. For some of us, it could be a, a kid, it could be a spouse, it could be just a family member. But try to picture that one person that above all else, you said, man, I would do anything in the world for them. And now imagine spending your entire life, every second of every day, pouring your blood, your sweat, your tears, everything you have into preparing a gift for this person that you are so eager and excited for one day when it's finally complete, when you've finally done everything you can to present this gift to somebody. You know that it's a gift that no one else will ever match. Nobody can come close to preparing and giving a gift that will even come close to comparing to what you're going to give this person. And you wrap it up and it's finally done and you have just drained yourself into preparing this gift and you present it and you give it to the person and you're so excited and they open it up and they see it and they're like, wow. You get really excited for a little while and they turn around and they put it on a shelf. Maybe coming by to look at it every now and again, but it's comfortable and, and we just want to leave it up there so nothing really happens to it. And we think, well, that sounds kind of crazy. But that's a lot of the time exactly what we do with the gift of salvation and faith that Christ died for us. How many of us believe that God or uh, Christ was tortured, that he was humiliated, that he was scorned, that he died, that he was ripped open and bled just so that we could receive a gift of salvation. Anybody else believe that? Amen. And so what do we do? We go to these Christian conferences, and, and we get saved initially when we go out, and we think, oh, well, maybe I'll pay 200 bucks. I'll go to a passion conference. And, and we spend a weekend there, and we hear all these, these patriarch pastors speak in this worship, and we think, woo, 
I'm on fire for God. A couple days go by, we go back home, we go back to work, we go back to school, and what happens? Ah, that was good, but I just want to keep it over here where it's comfortable and where maybe not too much will happen to it. When I need it, I'll go look at it again and maybe pull it off, and, ah, but it's, just, it's more comfortable to keep it up there. James says, oh, okay, I see, you have faith, that's good. But, but you don't believe in service, you don't believe in serving people, you don't believe in doing anything with the faith that we've been given? Now, in Romans 10, 9, it's true that it says that if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that we will be saved. However, we are called to be proactive and do something with the faith that we've been given, that gift that we've been given. We're not meant to confess it, receive it, and say, God, I want that gift so bad, and then do nothing with it. Chapter uh, 2, verse 19 says, oh, you believe in God? Good. Even the demons believe in God, and they shudder. Grace and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago when we were both kind of reading through, preparing. It's like, it's almost like James is kind of sarcastic and cute with how he says it. He's like, oh, you believe in God? Sweet. Even the demons do. And they shudder. They're scared. Francis Chan said, the only difference between us and demons sometimes and when it comes to believing in God is that they're persuaded to action, right? Like we both say, hey, we believe there's a God. We confess with our mouth and we believe in our hearts. So do the demons. They believe the same thing and they're even persuaded to action to a movement and they're proactive and shuddering and trembling where a lot of the times we say we believe that and we're not even moved to action to be scared of it. We don't do nothing about it. James 1.27 says, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So what does God say is pure and faultless? Serving, taking care of people, checking yourself every day to make sure that you are cleansed and faultless. James 1, 22 through 25 says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself, but do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed and what they do. Someone, so James says, basically, someone who, who picks up this scripture and, and we confess and we believe in our hearts, okay, there's one step. Then we, then we pick up the word and say, God, I'm going to study it. I'm going I'm to read what you say. And, and we begin reading all these things. And we might even get to James and we're reading through. And we think, ah, oh, faith without deeds is dead. Serve. Take care of. No, it's okay. We'll go to the next one. Uh, I can do all things through Christ. Hey, that sounds pretty good. And we do nothing with what we read. James said, it's like someone walking up to a mirror, looking at yourself, like we all do every day. Some of us probably more often than we should. <laughs> and we look at, and we see what we look like in the mirror, and we turn around, and we think, oh, I have no clue what I looked like the last time I looked in the mirror. And we think, well, that's ridiculous. James says, no, no, no. You want to know what's ridiculous? Is reading this. It's no different reading this, hearing what it says, doing nothing with it. You want to be blessed in what you do? Then be proactive with what you read and what we're called to do. 
But our culture rarely, rarely ever pushes us or, or persuades us to get out of our comfort zone, to, uh, comfort zone to do anything with it. Our culture says, no, 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 We'd be, uh, we're way better off being comfortable, um, doing what you want to do. If that doesn't really please you, then that's okay. You don't got to worry about it. It's just do what's comfortable, do what pleases you, and we settle for complacency. We settle for being passive, and we think, oh, that's okay. You think, oh, I, I'm not going and feeding some homeless guy or giving him a coat or blanket because odds are he probably wasted away what he had in the first place and he's, he's out on the streets for a reason, so he probably deserves to be there, so that's not my fault. Or I don't want to go to a, a shelter and, and a soup kitchen and feed somebody and I don't want to go down to the fish and, and fold clothes because I already fold clothes and laundry all day long for my family, and I got to feed them every night, so I'm already cooking, so I really don't want to go do it for somebody else. Or maybe it's this one. This is the best. Uh, Brother, I just don't feel like the Lord has placed that calling on my life. (laughs) Newsflash for you, in case you're wondering. We all have the calling on our life to go out and serve people. No one is too good No one is too good to step out and use the resources and the blessings that we have to go out and serve and take care of someone else. James says, get up and go and serve somebody and show some kind of fruit that is bearing in this so-called faith that you claim to have with the Lord. James says, faith without works is dead, meaning there's no life. There's no sign of anything going on in this faith of yours. So James says, if you're not going to have the ability to go out and do something, he said, your faith is dead, so you might as well not even worry about it. If you're not going to use the gift that God's given us that he died for and gave everything he had, he poured his whole life into this gift, gave it to you. We opened it up and said, I'm going to keep you right up there. James says, if you're going to do that, then you might as well just forget about it because that ain't even worth it. Jesus said, I can't stand the taste of something that's lukewarm. Either hate me or love me, but please don't try to mix the two together and sit somewhere in the middle because I will spit you out of my mouth because you taste like crap. It's funny, we laugh about it and we amen and we hallelujah, but what? It's not meant to be comfortable. Anybody who reads this word and and, and claims to have this faith and says, wow, I'm called to live a life of comfort and prosperity. When I was young, 12, 13, 14, somewhere around there, I was playing in a baseball game over in Lawrenceville. And I go up there to the plate and I stand there and strike one, strike two, strike three. Never swung, just stood up there, watched three strikes. Walk back to the dugout, warm, fuzzy, loving Tim Cash is standing there to greet me. <laughs> Basically said, well, I mean, if you ain't going to go up there and swing, next time you might as well just go up there without a bat. <laughs> if you're not going to swing that bat, you just give it to me, and next time you just walk up there with nothing, because if you ain't going to swing, you might as well just go up there and stand. And that's exactly what we do. We go out there, we have a bat sitting there. We have something that we read, that we study. We can go up there and take a hack. We can go out there and really take a swing and do something serious for the kingdom of God. But we walk up there and we say, I got it. Ah, it's just 
too scary to swing, though, because I might fail, or I, I, I just would rather not. Francis Chan was talking. He gave uh, basically this analogy. He said that he was reading an article about the heaviest and most obese people in the world. Some of these people weighing in the upwards of 1,000 pounds. And these people, they were stuck to their couches, stuck to their beds. They didn't move. They didn't get up. They just sat there all day long. And all they would do was people would come by and just feed them all day. They'd lay there, not moving, just be fed over and over and over and over and over. And we think, that's gross. Get up, do something. But what do we do so often on Sundays, Wednesdays? We come in and say, ah, oh, pastor, feed me. Small group leader, feed me. I want to be fed over and over and over and over again. Fill me up, feed me. I want to walk out of here thinking, woo! Do nothing with it. So we see these people who have a muscular atrophy acquired throughout their life, and we think, that's pitiful. But y'all, we got a serious epidemic of spiritual atrophy going on within the church. We are fed way too often, and very rarely do we use that energy and those calories that we've gained spiritually to go out and be proactive. It's easy to be passive. It's comfortable to be fed. If we pick up the word of the living God and we read it and we teach it and we claim to have this deep faith within it, then we naturally should seriously be persuaded to go out and do something about it. Don't wait for somebody else to come along and think, ah, Terry, he'll take care of them. Right, Richard? John, oh, they'll take care of them. I ain't got to worry about it. They got a little bit more money. They're a little bit maybe better off than I am. I ain't got to worry about that. I was praying through it this week, just thinking, wow, like just sitting and reminiscing over the last year of, of just the Lord really Blessing, grace, and I in ways that I never thought imaginable. And I was praying, and I was thinking back in Matthew about how Jesus gives the, uh, the analogy, basically, of this master coming, and he picks these three servants and says, here's five talents, three talents, and one talent for you. The master leaves for a while and comes back and said, what did you do with what I gave you? The guy with five says, man, I went out and doubled it. The master says, awesome, I'm going to trust you with a little bit more. Goes to the guy with three and said, what did you do with it? I doubled it. Awesome, I'm going to trust you with a little bit more. Goes to the guy that had one and said, well, what did you do with it? I buried it out back. I was way too scared to do anything with this. Master said, go ahead and just give it back to me then. If you can't be entrusted with a little bit, why would I give you anything else? And I was thinking and praying through. I was like, Lord, I don't want to be somebody that's only able to be entrusted with just a little bit because you might go out and just piss it and squander it away. (laughs) We need to be a people that the Lord looks down and says, I gave you a little bit. You went out and did some freaking awesome some stuff with it. I'm going to trust you with a little bit more. Not as a prosperity feel good. We're just going to fill you up and pat you on the butt and just keep on sending you out. But hey, you're shown to be entrusted with what little bit we gave you. I'm going to be willing to keep blessing you and pouring out even more so you can go out and keep blessing somebody else. He says, whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done unto me. So when you go out and you serve somebody don't look at it as just, oh, I'm just taking care of that person. Well, they better appreciate that. I spent 50 bucks on that coat. It better keep them warm. He says, whatever you've done to that person right there, whatever you did to he or she, served them, 
you're doing it directly to me. I don't know about y'all, but that right there is good enough reason for me to go out and want to take care of somebody. If you don't want to go out and do it by yourself, grab somebody with you. Patrick, let's go, man. I, I feel like the Lord's really laying on our heart. Let's go out and take care of somebody. Cool. Call somebody. Grab them. Let's go. I, where do you want to do? I don't know. Lord called us to take care of people. Let's just pray about it. Let's, let's see what he lays on our hearts. I promise you, if you take your crappy attitude of I just don't want to do because it's not comfortable and you turn it into, Lord, I really, really, really want to, want to, I want to bless somebody, not for my personal gain, but Lord, I know that you love your people and I know you care about your people. Who's going to go out and reach them and touch them if you don't? We're called to be the body of Christ. Guess what? The body's got some feet to get up off that couch and go do something. Right? What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? I don't know. Let's pray about it. All right. I feel like the Lord's laying on my heart. Let's go out and grab some food and go feed some people. Oh, cool. Hey, I was actually praying about it last night, and that's the same thing the Lord told me to do. Cool. Guess we're going to feed somebody. Where? I don't know. Go. I promise. If you change your attitude from I don't want to to God, I know you love your people, and somebody could use a blessing from you today. I want you to use me. I promise God will use you. Ain't not one of us not qualified to go out and take care of somebody else. I don't care how much you have, how little you got, somebody could use a blessing. That not to be financially, it could be you simply just doing something for them, cutting their grass. After I got done the first service, I looked down right around the front row, and April and Lee J were sitting there. And I started thinking, I said, you want to see somebody who's got faith in God and proves it by what they do? You'd look at them. I have, I've known them almost my entire life. And very few people have I seen who have absolutely fully sacrificed themselves to serve somebody else. I mean, these people went to the slums of the area, the least of these. They don't got, they, I mean, didn't have much. But they used what they had. And they went out and said, I got enough to take care of somebody. I got enough to love on somebody. I got enough to be there for them. And I thought, man, that's a people right there that got some faith in God. James finishes this little bit, and he goes, in uh, verse 20, what do we have a shadow? Basically says, you foolish person. He said, you idiot you need something written out? you need an example because this isn't enough for you? He said, take Abraham. Abraham throughout Scripture is credited as a righteous man. Time and time again, Abraham, righteous man. Abraham credited as a righteous man by God. Why? It says because not only did he have faith in who God was, he claimed he loved the Lord. He claimed he'd do anything for God. And God says, show me. I want you to take your son. I want you to walk up the mountain. I want you to prepare an altar put them on it, and sacrifice them. Now, we ain't going to get off the couch and maybe give $10 to feed somebody who hasn't eaten in weeks. But Abraham picked up his boy, walked up a mountain, and said, God, if you're calling me to sacrifice him for you, I'll do it. Right before he's about to, have to sacrifice his son for the Lord, the guy said, oh, that's a righteous man right there. Why? Because he had faith, he was asked to do something, and he obeyed. That's all it is. It's nothing more than God saying, hey, I need you to do something for me. 
Nope, go to the next person. No, 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 no. I need you to do something for me. What? Just wants you to obey. Is it scary sometimes? Yeah. When I first, when dad, the first couple times asked me to come up and speak, I thought, absolutely not. I was scared. I remember a year or two ago sharing for the first time, I was terrified. But I knew that the Lord was saying, you going to trust me? You going to obey? Yes. Starting Bible studies in small groups. I don't know what we're going to talk about. You going to trust me? Yeah. Talking to, to a buddy who's, who's down uh, in Florida and, and he's kind of struggling through the same thing. It's like, I feel like the Lord's uh, really laying on my heart to start a Bible study with some of these guys, but I just want to wait till the time's right. And I said, no, 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 no. If you wait for the right time, you're never going to do it. I said, if God's calling you to do something, he wants to see a little bit of action with your faith to say yes and obey and trust that he's going to take care of the rest of it. You don't have to have your perfect plan written out. He just wants a simple yes. I really, really don't think God is asking much of us. But some of the most apathetic people are sitting right here in this room. They're sitting in the church right down the road there. They're sitting in the church half a mile down the road there. And and they say that they're going to know us and our faith and our love in the Lord by what? By the fruit that we bear. And that fruit that we bear ought to be something that's proactive and loving and serving and taking care of God's people. Yo, we got to come, we got to stop coming in here and want nothing but to be fed over and over and over again. And we are so okay with having some massive spiritual atrophy in our lives. Like those heavyset people, doesn't mean that the next day they're going to jump up and run a marathon. They got to first learn how to get up out of bed. They got to take a step. Then they slowly start working that body back into being able to be proactive. Some of us have been sitting on the couch for so long, all the Lord wants you to do is say, just take a step, just get up. Then we're going to take one step and then two steps, and we're going to rally some people behind you, but you have got to quit being so passive. few less amens and hallelujahs this week, huh? (laughs) As grafted in members, I'll close with this. As grafted in members, someone who is taken from nothing and given a chance, grafted into the vine of Christ, we are called to bear a fruit that is evident for people to see. And a lot of that time, he's saying, all I want you to do is do something when I ask you to do it. Right on? Well, you learned how to swing the bat. (laughs) You swung today, bro. So, that's that's a great word. I mean, I mean, it really is a great word. Listen, listen. Faith has feet. You got faith. It leads to obedience. I promise you it does. Faith has feet. It has action. 
It's like when you told me the other day, I feel like God wants us to go feed people. Who are you going to hang with? I call Patrick. Patrick's nuts enough to do whatever. It's like, <laughs> what are you going to do? We're going to buy some burgers. We're going downtown, and we're just going to hang out and feed people. Luke was home from the Navy. Luke, what are y'all going to do? We're, we're going to, the three of us are going to go downtown. We don't, where are you going? I don't know. But God's calling us to just go feed some people, so we're going to go do it. So I'm like, man, I love that. What are you going to do? I don't know. But faith has feet. Faith in Christ determines how I treat my wife. Faith determines how I treat my kids, how I train my kids. Faith determines how I love my neighbor. True, authentic faith in Christ has feet. It has action. Faith is an action word. You will share God's love with your neighbor. I want to close with this. Philemon. Verse 6. I'm praying, this is Paul writing to Philemon, I'm praying that you will put your faith into action by showing generosity. Hey, hey uh, Philemon, I know you came to faith through my ministry years ago, and I know that uh, you, you, you said yes to Jesus and you became a follower of Christ. I'm so, I'm so proud of you, Philemon. Uh, but here's my prayer for you. I'm praying that you'll put your faith into action by extending generosity. Uh, I'm over here in prison, Paul, for preaching the gospel, not for some jacked up crime or stupid act of sin. I'm, I'm in the prison for preaching the gospel, and, and you're not going to believe it. Onesimus, that runaway slave that used to work for you, that ripped you off and stole from you and did you wrong. While I was incarcerated, he got arrested and he was in the pen over here with me. You're not going to believe it, but Onesimus came to faith and placed his faith in Jesus. And, and I'm just writing to you, Philemon, because Onesimus is useful again. And Onesimus is really broken and repentant, and he wants to get things right. So I'm going to send him back to you. But, but I pray that you would put your faith in action and be generous toward him. Because I know it's hard to want to extend grace to somebody that's wronged you. I, I know when you've been ripped off and wronged and betrayed and I know it hurts, but, but, I'm, but I'm writing to you to ask you because you're a brother to extend grace to somebody who's ripped you off. I, I know they owed you, and, and he owes you, and he's willing to pay it off now and get it right. So I'm asking you to extend grace. True faith offers a second chance. True faith embraces a second chance. Erwin Lutzer, he said this, every time we love, we increase our capacity to hurt. 
I'm willing to love, which means I'm willing to love you. I, I know you've jacked it up and you've blown it and it, it's brutal right now. I, I'm, I'm willing to love you, but I'm increasing my capacity to hurt because you might dog me and you might betray me and you might rip me off again. And, and here's what I, I know. Bad decisions cannot be undone. They can be redeemed. And, and some of us come in here today and we're still wallowing in our bad decisions. But if we've experienced brokenness, true brokenness, man, I can't undo that. But I can allow God to redeem it. And I've had conversations with people throughout this week. I mean, really, guys, my buddies in this church. And, and guys that come in here and sit and listen, but their, their faith don't have any feet. And I sent a guy a note this week. This is the only note I sent him. I hadn't sent him a text in probably a month or two months. When's the last time you had a drink? I didn't write that to him because I don't like him. I didn't write that to him because I don't love him. I wrote that to him because I care about him. It's the last time you had a drink. But because you're saying you're moving into faith and you've got a family. Another dude, I was like, when's the last time you dropped a pill in your system? Because I'm, I'm calling you because I need you to reach out to this other dude. When's the last time you, you, you drugged? I was clean for over four months and I relapsed. I'm not writing to you because I'm mad at you. Your faith can have feet. You don't have to stay stuck in that. Hey, I'm writing to you, Philemon, because there's a couple things working here. I'm writing to you because uh, people around you are hurting who have jacked it up again, again. And I'm writing to you just begging you, would you please extend grace? But because... If God treated you according to all the wrongs that you had done toward him, they would be much greater than the wrong this individual has done toward you. So, so would you please extend grace again? I know the person said, I'll never do that again. I'm done with it. But they've done it again. Yeah. And I know your heart's broken and you're crying and you're weeping because you don't know how much more you can handle, but would you extend grace? Again, because your Father in heaven has extended grace again and again and again and again to you. I'm not asking you to trust them per se, but I'm asking you to forgive them and extend grace. Trust is earned. I'm not saying trust them. I'm saying forgive them and extend grace. But if you're the person that's jacked it up again, Embrace the grace. No, but I said I would never drink again, and I did. I said I would never look at porn again, and I did. I said that I would never do fill in the blank that again, and I did. 
And I believe the Savior's arms are wide open, extended with grace. And he's looking at you saying, uh, I want you to do what you really do want to do. Arms extended. I want you to do what you really want to do. Well, what do I really want to do? I, you, you really want to embrace my grace. You really want to believe that I'm a God that keeps no score, that I really do forgive infinitely. You, you really do want to embrace my grace. That's what you really want to do. You really want to believe that I'm enough? You really do. What else do I want to do? You really do want to forgive other people, and you really do want to give other people a second chance, and you really do want to extend my mercy and love to others. That's what you really want to do. You, you, you don't want to live bitter and resentful toward other people. You, you want to believe that I plugged you out of the ruins of darkness? You want to believe that I can do that for other people? Yeah. That's what you really want to do. You really do want to embrace the compassion of heaven, but you, you do. You want to look and go, he loves me. There's ramifications for sin, but he loves me. Philemon, do me a favor. I'm going to send him back over there to you. And, and do me a favor. Don't treat him like a slave. Don't, don't treat him like a failure. Treat him like a brother. He would be so radical in Luke saying, kill the fatted calf, break out the robe, put a ring, throw a stinking party when he gets back. Throw down. The kingdom of God is a party. Throw a party for him. And when you get back, embrace the party. But really embrace it. And there's not a person under my voice that's capable of walking in holiness before God in your own flesh. <coughs> There's not one person under my voice that's capable of honoring God, pleasing God, and obeying God by coming up with enough good flesh patterns. You need the power of the Holy Spirit every day. So as I look over a room full of failures that came to the realization that on their good days they stunk and needed something greater than themselves. That's all we are. Man, Patrick, I need something greater than me to save me. I can't do it. So no matter how bad your sin's been, his love and grace and forgiveness is greater. So I invite you during prayer and communion today, Please embrace the grace. Please extend the grace. And listen to me. Faith has feet. Refuse to be spiritually obese and just sit there and well, I take it in. 
get your butt in the world and start loving on lost people. Practice it. Is that how it happened with you? Yes. That's the reason when Benji was here speaking, I was like, that, that's right. That's how it happens. God, what do you want me to do? I want you to go love somebody. I want you to lead this group. I don't know how to speak in front of people. I was in the same boat. Just go out and share your faith. Go out and ask people if you can pray with them. Ask them what their story is. Ask them what you can do. Hey, man, can I help you? Faith has feet. Repent. Embrace it. 